does a very good job showing uh, Jewish backgrounds, does a good job showing Mary, the betrothed Joseph, shows a good job with Zechariah and uh, his wife. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. And, but they too show the wise men that showing up on the same night uh, as the birth of Jesus Christ. So uh, it's, it's Christian tradition. Now, sometimes Christian tradition, as you probably know, is not correct. Sometimes it's uh, tradition. But if you join us online, it gives me a perfect opportunity to remind you tradition isn't always right. In fact, as we were singing this evening, I got sick of that pause that we had in there, and I wanted to say that's too bad this pause that we traditionally put in a lot of our songs. Um, but tradition isn't always what's there. And just because we do it tradition doesn't necessarily mean that's what the scriptures say. Now, some traditions are good, some traditions are not harmful, and some of them are helpful, but some of them sometimes impede what the Word of God says. So we need to be careful of the things that we are We look at the wise men's doctrine to start out the book of Numbers. We want to take a look at the possible pictures of the wise men and their gifts. So I'm, I'm going to have a hard time seeing all the way in the back with how bad my eyes are. Please forgive me if I take a look up here. We look at the gift of a magi tonight. We're going to be in the book of Numbers. Let's begin together, shall we? So we're going to be in Matthew 2, 1, 2, just to get that first story. We're going to jump over to the book of Numbers uh, real quick. Take a look at the first few verses. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, he told that his wise men from east of Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born from the Jews? We have seen the star in the east, and I've come to worship him. Next slide, please. And, of course, with the Gentiles, Story when they heard the king, they departed and rode the star, which they saw in the east went before them, until it came and stood over where the young child was. And they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Of course, we know they bring some gifts. Let's take a look and see what goes on. Next slide. So, as we look at those gifts, we need to remember that the star is what they follow. In fact, the Bible tells us they rejoice at the star leaving them. When I was in seminary, I had a long and robust debate with one of my professors who would proclaim that the star leading them was just myth. And I would often argue with them and say, no, that star led them to where Jesus was. And he would say, no, it's kind of like the North Star leading the ship where it needs to go directly. I don't read it that way. This is just me, though. But I don't read it that way. I read it as though the star guides them step by step, leads them, and like it goes above them, showing them where they need to be. That's how I interpret that. That's just me, though. And of course, you're welcome to your own thoughts on that. Uh, but I read that as that star actually leads them in there. But was that star ever prophesied in the Bible? Well, perhaps it was. And some people and some scholars believe it was foretold by Balaam the prophet. And that's what we're going to pick up in the book of Numbers. Let's take a look here in Numbers 24, verse 17, and take a look at what Balaam said. Now, just to remind you who Balaam was, Balaam was the prophet hired by King Balaam. He was a prophet, but he was a prophet for hire. He was, a, he was somebody who knew a little bit about religion, knew something about God, something about the other God, something about demons. He was a, what we call a religious leader. He was religious, and he, he had religious thoughts and, and, and processes everywhere. And with that being said, though, he put his talent out for hire. And so this king, Balaam, actually hires him because I need you to curse Israel as they're getting ready to go to war. And this is the picture of what God shows for Balaam. Take a look at this in Numbers 24, 17. I shall see him, but not now. This is from Balaam the prophet, the prophet for hire. If you don't remember the rest of the story, 
Balaam is the guy who gets on his donkey, and the donkey refuses to go, and so he starts hitting his donkey, and the donkey turns around and says, Why are you hitting me? And he speaks at the conversation with his donkey. So, uh, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. It shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab before all the cities of Shaft. So, some scholars, not all, but some scholars like to think of this as a prediction of that star coming out of Jacob, and perhaps Ethiopia. Let's move on and we'll find out there. Next slide. Balaam, remember, Balaam was that particular kind of prophet who was for hire. He wanted to use whatever relationship he had with God, how small it might be, as a process to make money. You know, any modern day preachers who do that today? Close to this. So, are they Balaam? Balaam? So that's how you say his name in Hebrew there. He saw God, but he would not obey God. And so that is one of the biggest problems we have in a modern-day church. We are so knowledgeable. We are so in-depth in God's Word, but we have a problem with obedience. Some of us know so much, yet we refuse to obey. And that's why we can't go any further. And instead, we keep on hungry. And I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more. But it seems like I can't get where I'm supposed to be. Because we're missing obedience. And Balaam was obviously missing that obedience. And he learned some of it in a very powerful and painful way. He saw, but he would not obey. He knew that he would not repent. Some of you remember the other prophecy he sees there as he stands upon the mountain and he says, How beautiful are thy tents, O Israel. And there's a whole big picture of what he might have seen there. Let me check the word might have seen there as well. You know, it's a neat, neat, neat picture. All right, next story. See the next slide. Balaam was not the only one to prophesy the Messiah's unique birth, though. Other prophets did as well. So Isaiah prophesied of it. Some of you are familiar with the prophecy in Micah. Some of you know about some of the other messianic pictures about roots coming out of David. Some of you know a little bit about the messianic prophecies and where he's going to come from, what he's going to do, and the new covenants he's going to bring. And some of you are thinking Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah. Some of you are thinking some of the other neat prophecies out there. But let's take a look at some of the more uh, profound prophecies of Jesus' birth. Let's take a look here. We're going to look at Isaiah, and let's not take too much uh, attention at the Scripture on the screen just yet. If you look at the most famous prophecies of Isaiah on in, inside of him about Messiah's birth, most of us will quote Isaiah 9, 6, wouldn't we? Can anybody quote that off the top of your head right now? I'll help you out. It starts with the word for. For unto... Yeah. For unto us a child is born, Isaiah 9, 6. Some of us quote Isaiah 7, 14, right? And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God. Right? You guys know these right there. Some of you know Jeremiah's prophecies in there about the new covenant he's going to bring. Some of you know the prophecy out of Micah, right? Five two. But thou, Bethlehem, right? You guys know these very famous prophecies. And there's some other ones that sometimes we miss over here. So look at me in Isaiah sixteen fifty six. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see, all they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy son shall come from far, and daughter shall be nursed at thy side. Let's look at the next slide here. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear, and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The fortunes of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. And so we're already thinking Messiah, because Messiah is the one who brings Gentiles in. Look at verse, verse 6 here. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring, help me out now, gold and 
incense, right? And they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. So some scholars actually attribute this to the wise men crossing, coming and with camels and coming with gifts. And so there's some neat thoughts that are in there. And so if you were to say to Messianic prophecy, sometimes we miss some of these details right here. Let's take a look at the next slide. What about the prophecy of the gifts, though? Do you think that what we just read there might have been a prophecy of the gifts of gold, frankincense? Some people would say, yeah. And so it's not for me to decide tonight. You just decide. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the wise men or the magi did bring three gifts. Can anybody help me name them here? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We're going to take a look at those three gifts this evening. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's see if we can find out a little bit about them. Next slide, please. What were the gifts? You already named them. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Incidentally, I had a good time finding the slide background. I thought it was really cool. The bad news is it's hard to read from the slide. So All right, next slide. Gold. When you think of gold nowadays, most people think of it in the form of a ring or a necklace or earring or something of that nature. When we're thinking of gold nowadays, somebody said gold bars. They're thinking of Fort Knox, Florida, right? You've got to be a badness right there. But what we might be thinking about in New Testament times is a chest of gold. So it's like you think when we say chest of gold, we think of gold pieces, right? Like you find in a pirate chest. This might be a little bit different. This might be gold shavings. This might be gold pieces, gold nuggets, something of that nature. And it, of course, could be gold coins as well. All we know is they bring him gold. We don't really know what fashion that is. Uh, when you watch the movies, they always bring this ornate little box. They say it, lay it down, and they don't know how much gold is in it. Uh, how many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are thinking, how much gold can fit in that little box? I need more than that. It's the year 2023 in the United States of America. So inflation is bad. So. All right, let's take a look at the next slide. There's a picture of some old gold right there, textured and set for something royal. And so let's take a look at what gold might represent as we bring our gifts tonight to the Messiah. And so, as we think about Christmas, we think about the gifts we give to our loved ones. We think about why we give gifts. One, because the wise men brought gifts. And two, because God gave us the gift of His only begotten Son. Sometimes we need to ask the question, of what gift we give back to God? And so the wise men give us some pictures and some advice of what we need to give back to God. When I was a young father, my mother-in-law bought a neat little present. It was one to be used year after year after year, and eventually it got to where it was so old it was falling apart. And it was no longer a surprise to the kids, but it was called What God Wants for Christmas. It was a yellow box, and of course, it started out about, I don't know, six or seven days before Christmas. And you start out with the very first one, and you get to Mary, you get to Joseph, to the wise, you get to the shepherd. And finally, at the end, as it was all done in, in a poetic uh, rhyme and meter, finally, in the end, it says, What does God want for Christmas? And you open up the last box, and inside was a little mirror, and you got to see reflection. Well, God wants Christmas you. And so we think about that all the time. Of course God wants you, and God wants you as his child. But there are some things you need to bring, God, as his children, as his servants. Well, gold, what does gold represent? Let's take a look. As was customary for royal visits, the wise men came bearing favor gifts intended to honor the newborn king. And as it is today, gold was a valued commodity in the ancient world. Among the types of assets listed in the Bible, precious metals, livestock, servants, gemstones, accumulation of gold is one of the chief measures of wealth. And so when I look at the scripture tonight, if you look at Genesis 13, 2, talk about wealth there. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 8, talking about the gold there. And please remember that even 
even Solomon shows the gold he has to the queen of Sheba. And later on, we have a particular king who opens up the treasure for all of Babylon to take a look at. They're like, hmm, maybe we need to visit this guy with an army next time. Or let's take a look at the next slide. Because of the scarcity, the mixed value, gold was particularly associated with royalty and nobility, as was seen in 1 Kings 10 when the queen of Sheba visits King Shalomo of Solomon, bearing great quantities of gold as a gift. By bringing a gift of gold, the wisely chose to give to Jesus. Give it Jesus and King. And that's what we got to learn tonight as Christians. Though many of us can't really lay down bars of gold, gold pieces, gold coins, or stadiums of gold, or chests of gold, anything like that, what we can do, though, is God's children is start honoring Him as King. Can somebody say amen tonight? We're supposed to start worshiping Him as King. A king. He is our king. And as our king, he has the right to tell us what to do, when to do it, how to do it. He has the right to tell us how to behave. He has the right to set and make laws in our lives. That's what a king does. That's what a king does. A lot of times we think a king is occasional. I want you to be king for an hour, then I want you not to be king while I'm busy over here. That is not how you treat a king. If you're going to treat Jesus as that kind of king, you've got a relationship problem. You need to work on it. However, if you're going to bring him gold, then you're going to acknowledge him as king all the time. King. During resurrection time frame, we have a, a phrase we like to say. We like to say, Hosanna. Hosanna in the door. Hosanna in the highest. And really what that's saying is, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they recognize who Jesus is as king. We need to recognize Jesus as king. And perhaps you might be having a problem tonight saying, Pastor, I have a hard time accepting God as king, Jesus as king. Well, you know what? We've got to get back to it. Let me remind you of what happened to that Turkish politician as he addressed Parliament. God is king, and he can do anything, anytime, anywhere that anybody wants. Let's see the next slide. In addition to understanding the royalty of Jesus, some have noted that the wise men's gifts of gold may have foreshadowed another aspect of Jesus' ministry. Under the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant, the most holy place, also known as the Holy of Holies, was an inner sanctuary within the temple where the priests would encounter the presence of God and offer sacrifice atonement for the sins of the people. Remember when Zechariah would have went to offer that incense? Speaking of incense, Zechariah went to Kaleen last night. While we were in Kaleen, we went into the mall. Have you been into the mall lately? There's nothing left there. It's down the hall, not the mall, you know? But if we were walking in there, we passed by one store called the Perseum Tower. If you're listening online, forgive me. Please don't sue me. But the smell of the perfume was so strong that even the people across the hall in the jewelry store were saying, that is some strong smell of perfume. And so I was thinking to myself, incense, as we walk by, incense. Incense often in the Bible represents prayer. We read about it in Revelation, about the saints being under the altar of incense and the smoke rising up into the unto the heavens under God. And we get the picture of our prayers being in complete favor under God. And I wonder sometimes when we read the New Testament about these people who are encouraged, especially remember the woman who needed justice and she goes to the judge who's not afraid of God and says, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And he finally says, I better do something for what she does. He's annoying me and mad me to death. And I wonder sometimes if our prayers Incense. You keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. You better get so strong to God. I just kind of answer this prayer from the best talk. Just my personal thoughts. Now, under the Old Covenant, the most holy place was also known as the Holy of Holies. 
was an intersection with the temple where the sacred and the encounter with the presence of God offered sacrifice and atonement to the sins of the people. And guess what about that inside area? Let's take a look. Next slide. Likewise, the incarnation of Jesus fell with the presence of God, Emmanuel, and the sacrifice and atonement he would make on behalf of the people when he went to the cross. The wiser may have had this connection in mind to describe the question 6. 22, the walls of the most holy place and the altar within it were completely overlaid with gold. Gold. So that may be what they think of Jesus. King, he's also that priest that he was. That priest that will pray for you. That priest will make atonement for you. Let's look at the next slide. One of the other gifts that the wise men brought and the man that brought was frankincense. What do you mean frankincense? Let's see if we get a picture of it right here. There it is. Thank I know we usually see it in the liquid form. Do you ever get anointed here at Rock Valley Baptist Church? Our only time we get anointed in our anointing oil. Not to help cover the smell of the olive oil. It's strong. Who's the frankincense there? Let's find out a little bit about the next question. Frankincense is an aromatic gum resin that's really widely used in parts of the Middle East and Africa today. It's produced by Straightening the bark of certain native species of trees and then harvesting the beads of resin as they dry and burning incense to a strong and beautiful aroma. And we've talked a little bit about the incense when we burn and what that suggests. Let's take a look at this next slide. In the ancient Near East, the cost of frankincense precluded it from being used as a common household air freshener. Unlike today, you can actually go and get your air wick or your blade and you can get some that are frankincense scented. Rather, the burning of frankincense was closely associated with ceremonial worship of the deity. In this way, the inclusion of frankincense as a gift of Jesus may have indicated, and I believe that it was, that the wise men understood that the prophecy of the newborn king carried with it a claim of deity. Jesus Christ is God. He is the king. He is God. He's the king. He's not only the king who's born in the manger. He's the king that's coming again. And he is God. This is a picture them laying down their prayer for instance. As with gold, frankincense may also have an implied connection between the temple, worship of the old covenant, burning incense at the altar was a key part of the sacrificial system described by God for the use of tabernacle and later in the temple itself. We already talked a little bit about Zechariah and what happened to him inside of the holy place there. But according to Exodus 30, however, not just any incense would do. Get a chance to look these up if you want later on. We'll have time to do that. Next week, chapter 30. Let's look at the next slide. He says that recipe of spices mixed with poor frankincense. You can read about that from 30 verse 34 and 30 verse 35. Was to be consecrated pure and holy. And it's the only instance permitted at the altar. A speculative parallel can be drawn between this and Jesus' life as a pure and holy offering to the Lord. And I wonder if that was a picture of why men saw this as they laid down their frankincense. Holy, he's pure, he's pure. You know the effort we're looking for? Thank you. Thank you. Let's take a look at the next slide. And the third gift, myrrh. Myrrh. That's what the bird looks like. If you get some homemade ice cream, that might be the best. Myrrh. But myrrh has a picture of it right there. Let's take a look at what myrrh is all about. Myrrh is a fragrant spice derived from the sap of the tree native to the Like frankincense, it can be 
anointing oil and receive it in faith and by the position of honor. Most notable with regard to this right word of the community and in this text by the way you prepared the body for Daniel. Read the chapter 60. Why is it no man thought of him? Gold is mine. I lay it at the feet of a king. Frankincense is mine. I lay it at the feet of a priest. Myrrh is mine. The head, feet, and stomach. Myrrh. Those are the bits of the way that the whole body is prepared. You read about that in John 19, verses 39 and 40. Perhaps the wise women coming this gift is an indication of Jesus' humanity and the manner in which he would save the people, namely, that he would die for them. Isaiah 63, verse 5. And you know quite well the pictures we're talking about. Look at the next slide. Just like the first two gifts, though, there is a simple connection with murder as well. Exodus chapter 30, shows us that liquid murder was the main ingredient in the announcement of their use of ceremonial. What did Mary and Joseph do with those gifts? That's a question of all questions. Can I ask you a question? You don't have to ask that. What would happen if God gave you such a gold gift? Some of us would say, I pay off every bill I owe. House would be paid for, my car would be paid for, my credit card paid off, and I would be dancing the lightest of the Some of you would say, I'd give every penny of it to the poor. Every penny of it to the poor. You ever heard those stories about the Christians who go into the gas station and got that one guy and said, God, I'm going to buy this outside. If you heard my prayer, let me win. Y'all heard that story before? Of course, he goes in, he buys the ticket, he never scratches it, and on his way home, he finds somebody in need and he has nothing to give him. He says, Well, here's some more ticket. Of course, the person in need scratches it, and guess what? That person wins millions of dollars. Of course, the Christian's talking down, saying, You owe me half, I gave you that ticket. Here's that little question to say. What did Mary and Joseph do to get Jesus? I don't know about you, I could take a lot of things I would have done with this. Number one, I probably would have taken Betsy out to a steak dinner, amen? What about in those days? They weren't going to Rabbi, they got to pay off the house. Isaiah 60, verse 6 describes the wealth of the nation coming to God's people through Jesus Christ. Mary and Joseph saw a glimpse of this when they received the gift of gold, Frankly. Why did they go to Egypt? God told them to, but why did God tell them to go? Aaron's going to kill all those baby boys. But then we know 
Perhaps they used the money to start a new life today. That's what I think they did. That's what I think they did. Folks, we don't need enough. How are they going to be taught to take it? And I think that's a good, very good gift. And perhaps one day when we get to heaven, we can meet Mary and Joseph and say, what'd you do with the money? Maybe we can act like the Baptist church and say, I need to see your feet, Daddy. This is music. I want to tell you something new. How many of you know in Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men arrive, they're not in the main room. But the Bible specifically, they're in a house. We just don't know what happened. I don't know what happened in the house. We don't know whose house. We don't know if it's our house or any other. Maybe they did. Maybe they used some of the money for it. We don't know. There is After the baby was born, the manger, that's the thing. I study the scripture, and I don't think Jesus was born in the I think Jesus was born in the scripture. I understand you can get a thought from that man. That passion would have been Jesus. Meaning the manger is not a city, not a barn. Sell it on the black market, or we can sell it out on eBay real quick, right? Maybe they left.
those faithful disciples had victory. been a Christian, why do you have to have I've been a born again, blood-bought, redeemed by that Jesus we're talking about, who shed his blood for me, who the wise men came, and gave gold, precious metals to me. What did you do wrong? You tried everything. You had fun. You had to get poured on the feet until you were ready to die. That's before you feel like now. Perhaps he spoke to you and said, you say, Pastor, I need to be right with you. Are you willing to come? Perhaps you say, Brother Josh, you need to be a part of what's going on Perhaps you say, Pastor, I just need to be saved. You want to open the door to you. Are you willing to come? This evening, humble yourself and come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, come to now in Jesus' name. And Lord God, I want to thank you for your word. Your word is quick and sharp and it's sharper than any two edged sword. So I pray right now, Lord, cut down into our hearts and into our lives. Anyone that needs to be learned in such a way important. Anyone, Lord God, you need to remember who they are. Would you let them get that, that whiff of Jesus? Would you let them smell? Would you let them know? Let them hear? Because you will never leave them with that person. I'll just say, Lord, for the anyone that needs to come to be a part of that. Do whatever the case is. 